The last page has been turned on my most recent read in that I finished a book less than an hour before I sat down to record this episode. I have just made my second cup of tea of the day and it's still, thank goodness, steaming hot. And I am already eagerly anticipating a book delivery that is arriving later today because the book I ordered has been recommended by so many people I have legitimately lost count. Anyway, it's another week and another book. And as you know, I like to talk about different genres, and this is a book by a new-to-me author, their first foray into one of my all-time favourite genres, cosy crime. My reading pattern this week hasn't been great, but I have a number of new books on the shelf, including the chunky Priory of the Orange Tree by Samantha Shannon. The sequel is arriving tomorrow. And I also have a few exciting things to prepare for. In a few weeks, I am stepping seriously outside my reading comfort zone when I speak with crime author Mary Hannah about her new book, Black Fell, and I have a few books from her back catalogue to devour over the next 10 days. I am hoping to take advantage of the final May bank holiday and read my way through a few books that have wanted to fall into my eager lap, especially as the weather is currently absolutely perfect for sitting on the balcony with a cup of tea, some music and do nothing but read. Summer is finally here. I'm not sure how long it will last. It could only be a few days, but I am definitely going to make the most of it. Anyway, let's get back to the book before I get completely distracted. As I have already mentioned, this is a cozy crime novel. The first time this particular author has written in this genre and I was not sure what I was going to get because, as you will discover later, reviews were incredibly mixed. So here I am, no spoilers, opinion-filled as ever and ready to roll. All of which means it's time for the latest episode of Being Bookish. Join me today as we visit a church in a small English hamlet for the first investigative adventures of Canon Daniel Clement, in Murder Before Evensong by Reverend Richard Coles. I'm your host, Ray, self-confessed bookworm, introvert, hermit, long-term depression sufferer and ex-coffee addict. Join me on my journey through my ever-growing to-be-read pile and enjoy the latest of my 100% spoiler-free book reviews. book has admittedly been on my shelf for a while and though I wasn't exactly avoiding it, as my TBR continues to grow other books took its place on my reading priority list. I'd pick it up and then out of the corner of my eye a shiny cover would catch my attention and that would be it. I've said it before and I will probably say it a thousand times more. I'm a mood reader. Unless I have a deadline, as I have for a few novels I'm currently looking at right now, the books I pick up are the ones that appeal to me in that single moment. It's why I'll sometimes have more than two or three books on the go, all at different points in their reading journey. It's also why I can sit down for an entire day only moving to visit the bathroom, because it's necessary, or refresh my cup of tea when I remember, and read an entire 500-page book. It made reading for college a bit of a struggle at times, because why would I want to read Jane Eyre when I could read the latest Jilly Cooper? 
I know the quality of writing cannot compare, but sometimes you just want something that doesn't tax the brain too much, is entertaining, exciting, and okay, completely raunchy. So light a few candles or perhaps just switch on that reading lamp because a bit of atmosphere is always a wonderful accompaniment to a reading session. Get yourself a fresh cup of something hot or a glass of something chilled, depending entirely on when you're listening and your preference, of course. And let's get started. Canon Daniel Clement is Rector of Champton. He has been there for eight years, living at the rectory alongside his widowed mother, opinionated, fearless, ever so slightly annoying Audrey, and his two dash hounds, Cosmo and Hilda. When Daniel announces a plan to install a lavatory in church, the parish is suddenly and unexpectedly divided. As lines are drawn, long-buried secrets come dangerously close to destroying the apparent calm of the village. And then Anthony Bowness, cousin to Bernard de Flores, patron of Champton, is found dead at the back of the church, stabbed in the neck with a pair of secateurs. As the police moves in and the bodies start piling up, Daniel is the only one who can try and keep his fractured community together and catch a killer. It starts with the toilet. Or rather, it starts with discussion of the lack of a toilet in the church of Champton St. Mary and how one is needed so that people can use the facilities when necessary during services. Canon Daniel Clement is all for this latest improvement to the church, as are several other people who were on the committee with him, but they are meeting resistance from stalwarts, Stella Harper, Kath and Dora Sharman, and others who are happy with the status quo. It seems that the biggest reason against the new toilet is that the pews should never be touched. They date back to the building of the church and therefore must be left where they are. The real problems begin when Daniel proposes that someone look into the authenticity of the pews. Anthony Bowness, cousin to the Lord Bernard de Flores, the patron of the church and the village of Champton, sets about researching and he is the first victim of our murderer. He is found dead, his throat slit, in the back pew of the church. No one is above suspicion. For what possible motive could there be for murdering someone as harmless as Anthony? He was a bookish man who spent his time with his head buried in papers and research. No one could want him dead, surely. All the while the investigation is going on, DS Neil Van Loo is relying on Daniel's knowledge of the local residents and the history of the village, though there are clearly elements he is not privy to, being something of an outsider himself, until only eight years previously. Daniel is also contending with his younger brother Theo, an actor, down from London, following his brother around to learn more about his role as a canon for the role he has recently won in a new TV series. I personally felt that a lot more could have been made of the relationship between the two brothers, because often they feel a little bit like strangers. Just when it seems as though they could be getting somewhere with the murder investigation, though they are nowhere near arresting the guilty party, another body turns up. Ned Thwaites is discovered by young Nathan, lying face up in the lake, his head bashed in. This introduces a side plot with Nathan and his grandfather, Edgy, who at one point was a bare-knuckle fighter and successful debt collector. It seems that Nathan is involved with the younger son of the de Flores house, Alex. They have been lovers for some time, though, to be honest, this has little relevance in the murder plot, if any at all. 
After the discovery of a second victim, the search picks up pace. What this murder has shown is that no one is safe, for a link between the two victims is not immediately obvious. This point, I have to say, if I go any further, I will reveal much more than I want to. And I don't think you want me to tell you who the killer is or why they did it. Spoilers, people. Remember, they are not your friend unless you're watching a horror film and want to make sure your favourite character isn't the next one on the metaphorical chopping block. This book isn't quite as new as a number of the others that I have reviewed over the last five months. However, it is only 12 months old, and I honestly picked it up because I knew the sequel was going to be released in June. Strangely, it has also appeared on a number of Instagram feeds that I follow in recent weeks, and I thought that I should probably finally read it, as it's been on my shelf for a few months, just so I could see what the fuss was all about. It's a cosy crime after all, one of my favourite genres, so what could go wrong? Unlike many of the more recent cosy crime novels I've reviewed, including Vera Wong's Unsolicited Advice for Murderers, which I think you should immediately read, and The Marlowe Murder Club by Robert Thorogood, this book has a male protagonist, which I found an interesting contrast to a considerable number of the cosy crime novels that are currently being released. It seems that female protagonists are the thing at the moment. But that's always subject to change. I do like Hercule Poirot. I do want to add here that whatever the outcome of my reading is, I don't let the opinion of others sway me. As with every week, I do find the reviews of other readers interesting, especially when it comes to books that I have been marketed to be popular. As always, I like to provide a balanced perspective because I think that when it comes to deciding on a new book, having views from both ends of the spectrum is important. I'm not saying that you should allow yourself to be swayed by the views of others because you are the person doing the reading after all, but sometimes they can help you determine whether now is the right time to be reading something, especially if there are sensitive topics in the content. Kat gave the book just one star, saying, Wow, was this bad? I'm pretty sure I read most of this book without actually reading it, because I couldn't be bothered. Most of the story is about the daily occurrences of the parish, and there is no crime investigation. Sure, murders do happen, but contrary to what I thought, this is not a story where the vicar, rector or whatever investigates them. He just stays there doing what he normally does until the last chapters of the book where he has a certain, I don't know, realisation and then he knows exactly who the murderer is. And I can assure you it is nearly impossible to guess in this instance. It could be anyone from this cast of indistinguishable characters or no one because there doesn't seem to be any discernible motive. There is a motive, however, and when I thought my eyes couldn't roll any more after the Reverend sudden realisation of who the murderer is, they still rolled some more as I read about the motive for the murders. It was bad. I already mentioned the indistinguishable characters. What about the poor dialogue? It was terrible. I was expecting a cosy mystery where the Reverend would play detective. A funny one, considering that I laughed on the first page with the lavatory gate thing, but that was it. I feel misled. I think this will be a series. At least there should be a following book. Guess who won't be reading that one?
Murder Before Evensong was released in June 2022 and the sequel, A Death in the Parish, comes out shortly. I picked this book up because I had read a few recommendations and I thought, if I like it, then I can easily pick up the sequel once I've read it. No waiting, or at least relatively little waiting. The fact that the book came out a year ago made me sure that finding reviews both one and five star would be incredibly easy. However, it appears that sales of this book were determined greatly by the renown of the author, someone who has created a name for himself on British mediums, appearing as a guest on shows like Have I Got News For You and QI, as well as Strictly Come Dancing and Celebrity Masterchef. And he was also a member of the 80s group The Communards, a group I remember very well from my childhood. Such fame doesn't necessarily translate to popularity outside of the UK, and I think that this may be the reason why there are only 6,658 ratings and just over 700 full written reviews on Goodreads. As it stands, the book has an overall score of 3.42, which is actually one of the lowest scores for a book I've talked about in quite a while. And though I have yet to discuss my views of the book, I'm surprised at this, because I would have thought that the scores would be considerably higher. However, less than 50% of the reviewers who gave the book a rating made it four stars or above. And for the first time in a long while, 4% of reviewers gave the book just a one star rating. A total of 34% of reviewers felt this book was, at best, average. As I say every single week, when it comes to opinions, whether it's for a book, film or a TV program, every view is very personal to the individual who wrote it. So all of these reviews are completely subjective. When it comes to picking a book for yourself, it's always worth looking at more than one review if you're not sure. Though, to be honest, I personally would ask a friend first if you have a lot of bookish friends because everyone's opinion is different, but you're more likely to share a view or a slight review with someone that you know really well. Finding a five-star review was relatively simple. Thank you, Goodreads filters. However, they were much rarer than reviews of other ratings. And for a moment, I thought I was going to have to choose one of the 30% of four-star reviews on the page. Only 17% of readers thought the book had earned the top score. Grace enjoyed Murder Before Evensong greatly, it seems, and gave it a glowing five-star review. She said, I relished looking forward to reading this one. It was everything I hoped, an utter delight from beginning to end. Canyon... Daniel Clement is rector of Champton, where things have always been done a certain way, and when he announces plans to install a much-needed lavatory in the church, it causes untold upset among certain quarters of the congregation, and battle lines are drawn. Daniel lives with his two dogs, Cosma and Hilda, and his mother has joined them in the rectory. Audrey relishes being in the thick of things, and isn't quite the docile old lady she first appears. When a member of the local nobility is found dead in the church, stabbed to death with a pair of secateurs, no less, Daniel needs to discover what's going on in the community if he has any hope of keeping his flock together. My first thought on finishing this book was how I could hear the author's voice throughout. And indeed, the Reverend Richard Coles narrates the audiobook. Who else? 
Everything is right about this novel. The characters are deliciously created. The mystery is skillfully crafted and humour is peppered throughout. Frankly, I wouldn't have been surprised if Miss Marple herself had popped up partaking in afternoon tea. Delightfully written and absolutely terrifically enjoyable, this is everything it promised and so very much more. The best news of all is that it's the first of a series and I shall be reading each and every one of them. On top of Richard Coles being a man of many talents, whose kindness and humour shine throughout everything he does, including his writing, he is a keen observer of his fellow human and it shows. A sparkling read and one which fully deserves a full house of shining stars and my very best recommendation. I have always found reviews fascinating, especially when they differ so much from my own. There is nothing like a review to show how different and similar people can be. As with anything, when considering the reviews that a book has been given, you have to take a lot into account. Every single reader is going to find something different in a book, and while they are reading the same content as you, they may prefer one character over another or enjoy the dialogue more than you do. It may be that they find something in the setting that reminds them of their childhood or connects them with a fond memory. Whatever the reason, no two reviewers will find the same thing to talk about, unless it's something so obvious it's unavoidable. Of course, we can't see into the heads of every reviewer who leaves a comment on a website, so we have to take each review written with a pinch of salt. Anyway, now I've told you about other people's views, let's get down to it. Here are my thoughts on Murder Before Evensong by the Reverend Richard Coles. Completely spoiler-free and 100% honest. Did I like the book? Until I started talking about this book yesterday with another book lover friend, I was actually struggling to think of what I was going to say when I asked myself this question. I really try hard to find something to recommend a book even when it's not my favourite. Unfortunately, in this instance, I can honestly say that this novel is not going to be one I pick up again. In fact, if it weren't for the fact that said friend I spoke with yesterday is actually going to be reading this for a book club, so I'm giving her my copy, this would be taking a trip to my local charity shop for someone else to enjoy, because my opinion is mine alone. There were so many things in this book that not only confused me, they left me feeling empty. And that's not something I enjoy when, strangely, I think that a cosy crime novel should be like getting a hug from your granny and then sitting down to gossip over a cup of tea and a slice of Battenberg or Victoria Sponge. Other cakes are available. I personally didn't feel as though any of the characters were big or bold enough to care for. The lead protagonist, Canon Daniel, was just there, and though every once in a while we got a glimpse of his past and his feelings for his mother... He was someone I didn't know enough about to want to follow his story. Who is Canon Daniel? What drives him? What made him choose the church? We get these when I was in Belgravia memories, and they made me curious. But as an introduction to the world of Champton and its various residents, the book felt sadly empty. We learn more about peripheral characters like the younger son of the Lord of the Manor, Alex, and his lover, Nathan, than we do about the characters we should be focusing on, especially as this is just the start of a series that will possibly, and make that probably, go on for a considerable number of books. 
There is also Hervé, a young man who was fostered in the village. There are rumours about his father being the artist of a mural drawn during the war that graces the walls of the church, but his mother is unknown. So as I said, we get snippets of character study, but not enough to build a connection. And in some cases, it just clouds things. I know that this is a mystery, but surely some things should be a little more obvious. Not everything in the novel should be a conundrum, so it makes the mystery harder for the reader to solve. Because sometimes part of the fun of a mystery is putting your own spin on things and thinking, I think I know who did it. And then discovering, oh, okay, so I didn't. Probably the biggest issue I had with the book is the one that constantly pulled me out of the story, to the point that by the time I finally thought I'd figured it out, I didn't actually care anymore. And that was the timeline. In one of the other positive reviews I found as I was searching for five-star comments, but this one was an essay and I just couldn't read it for you, you'd get bored halfway through, someone mentioned that they had heard Reverend Coles in an interview about the book on the radio. He talked about how he had based the book during 1988. I'm really happy that I found this review, though it came a little too late to make much of a difference to my own views. The book felt choppy and I found myself constantly confused about when it was meant to be based. The fact the way that Champton was described made me think of the 1950s or 1960s. It had a very late Agatha Christie feel to it with a small general store being the centre of the town and the lack of progression. The fact that everything revolved around the church and the Lord of the Manor. Added to that the constant mentions of World War II did very little to remove this view because the character still talked about it as though it's a really recent occurrence, the centre of a considerable number of events that take place. And then there was a one-liner about erasure, out of nowhere, as though to give us a clearer view of when we were. We also had talk of Maggie Thatcher and the Groucho Club, but then someone mentioned that they were going to have a 50th anniversary celebration of the war, which I thought took place in 1995, as we marked the 50th anniversary of the end of the war, not the beginning. There is also talk of Cagney and Lacey, which finished in 1988, and a fictional soap that our main character's younger brother Theo has a role in, which sounded kind of like The Bill, but not. Or maybe Heartbeat, because it was based in a village or something. The fact that I was so focused on when the book was based because it was so unclear really reduced any possible enjoyment I may have felt at reading it. Another topic that was mentioned a few times throughout the book and felt as though it was just being shoehorned in for a reason I'm still struggling to comprehend is AIDS. As someone who was a teenager in the 1980s, I clearly remember the Tombstone campaign and it had a strong impact on me and a lot of my peers. However, I don't understand the relevance of it to this book. Yes, it was an important topic of the time and something that consumed the media during the mid to late 80s. However, this wasn't a Jilly Cooper Rutcher chronicle where everyone was sleeping with everyone else in the village. So I didn't see the point of it being mentioned multiple times. The mystery itself was, as they often are, wrapped up in a few pages, but even after reading it again, it just didn't make any sense to me. I have no issue with a mystery being wrapped up after a single revelation makes everything clear, but in the case of this book, it just fell flat. 
the story was contrived. The characters could have done with a lot of rounding out and a clearer picture of the era we're meant to be in would have gone a long way to improving Murder Before Evensong. Will I read anything else by the Reverend Richard Coles? Short answer, no. Long answer, I can't help thinking that if someone other than a celebrity had come up with this plot and submitted it to an agent, it would have stayed in their slush pile until it was cleared out at the end of a quarter. Does that sound harsh? Probably. But I love this genre so much and every time I pick up a new novel, I want to meet characters I can care about that I'm given the chance to get to know. This felt like a confusing mishmash. Everything was thrown into the story and nothing was removed when a good edit could have helped it. If you're looking for something like this or you loved this and want something else, then you'll love these. If you want something like this, there are so many incredible options out there. Looking for something with a bit of a supernatural bent, then Grave Expectations by Alice Bell is fantastic. A reluctant millennial medium is forced to use her skills to find out which member of a wealthy aristocratic family is responsible for a grisly murder. It's also almost a closed room mystery because it all happens, or the murder and a lot of the investigation all happens in one very, very run down house in the middle of nowhere. I've already mentioned this book a few times in the episode, but Vera Wong's Unsolicited Advice for Murderers by Jesse Satanto has a wonderful central protagonist who you will want to invite round for tea. The Accidental Medium by Tracy Whitwell. Yes, another medium appears on this list, but Tans is an actress who discovers she has powers when on a break from her craft, and it leads her right into the middle of danger. Rosemary Schrager's The Last Supper is the first in her Prudence Bulstrode series. Do not let the name put you off. Prudence is an ex-TV cook who somehow manages to get involved in far too many murders for anyone's liking while travelling for her job as a caterer after retiring from TV. No list would be complete without a couple of books by Agatha Christie. If you love the cosy crime based in a small village, then you'll definitely want to read her Miss Marple series if you haven't done already. So perhaps The Body in the Library, A Murder is Announced, or the first book she appeared in, The Murder at the Vicarage. Another character whose crime solving tends to be limited to a small village that time forgot is of course M.C. Beaton's Agatha Raisin. My favourite book in that series remains the first one, The Keys of Death, but there are a further 31 books in the series to choose from at this present time. Personally, I would stick to the first 12. If you want a few more cosy crime recommendations, I have a full playlist of podcast episodes that I'll post in the notes for you to check out. It's been another busy week. And I know I seem to say that every week. It's always true. I didn't get much done in the way of reading, but Darcy has been a bit under the weather and I was trying to get a lot organised so I could have a proper weekend off after weeks of preparation for various events. Though I haven't read as much, I have still been ordering. In fact, I'm expecting two deliveries this week and I am also keeping an eye out for anything else being released that I just have to have immediately. 
though my TBR is already a considerable size, I don't want to restrict myself because you never know what the mood will demand at any given time. All this book buying doesn't mean I have stopped looking for more. If you have any recommendations at all, whether it's books you've read or books you just want to hear me talk about in my spoiler-free way, send them on over, definitely. I am always interested in being introduced to new books and new authors. You can send me an email at beingbookishpod at gmail.com or DM me on Twitter or Instagram and I will be sure to check it out. Don't forget, if you want to hear about new releases and other books I've read and keep up with my reviews, you can sign up for my newsletter on my website, beingbookish.co.uk. Well, that's it for this week. And thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends and family? And please post a star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of the other podcatchers where you listen. You can follow me on Twitter at being underscore bookish and on Instagram at beingbookishpod. Or you can check out my website, beingbookish.co.uk. And don't forget, I also have a TikTok. It's at beingbookishreviews. Well, I've got a lot to get ready for next week and a new book, or actually several of them, are calling me. So until next time, this is me saying 